0: Welcome to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech. I'm Jude Jennison, the host of this podcast, and I'm the founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I work with senior leadership teams to help them align through behavioural change. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the intersection between technology, humanity and leadership, and looking at how we use technology to be more human and increase emotional connection and enhance the way that we live and work. I'll be interviewing leaders from technology businesses who are at the forefront of changing how we live and work. You will not want to miss this. Some of the conversations have been enlightening and inspiring, and I hope you enjoy them as much as I have done. Roland Emmons is the UK tech sector head for HSBC. Roland talks about the uncertainty of disruptive change. He explains that humans are evolving and developing new skills to lead in a digital age without being technologists themselves. He shares his three key skills for the future of leadership and explains the importance of being able to collaborate in a more distributed way of working, where people are no longer in the office or at home, but can work from anywhere. Have a listen. Hi, Roland, thanks for joining me today. Good morning. Can you tell us who you are and what you do, please?
1: I can. So my name's Roland Demons. I'm HSBC UK's tech sector head. Uh, don't shoot me. I work for a bank. I'm not a banker. Well, I am a banker by trade, but I spend all my time with technology firms. I'm very lucky. I'd probably meet somewhere between three and 400 tech leaders a year. Uh, I, I like to think I get paid to meet people that I think are interesting and, and talk about stuff that is interesting. More seriously, uh, I set our strategy for the sector and I support all of our, all of our serious lens. And I, I'm particularly interested at the moment with the changes that are going on and the collision between technology. In human beings, and how that might play out.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because you you, you say you're you're a you work in a bank, but you're not a banker. Um, And previously, I worked in IBM, and I know very little about technology. So I think I think the world is changing in terms of the roles that we play, isn't it? And the jobs that we do. Um, What's What's your experience of that in the with the companies that you're working with?
1: Um. So, I mean, I'll give you two views on that. One, I did quite a lot of mentoring coaching internally. And one of the things I'm always talking to people about is don't look at the job description of the job that you're looking at. Look at the personal transferable skills that you've got. Look at what makes you be at your best. You know, you know, uh, you know, I was lucky enough, I spent some time at IMD and, and I know that there's five things that made me at my best, learning from people around me, making a difference. Um, feel that I can help others develop and there's two others I can never get five of them I can usually get four but I've only managed to get three today so I'm not doing quite so well um so there's that piece there's also I think the skills that we need today are very different than what they might have been even even 18 24 months ago Mm. um and the the pace of change in the world is is ever increasing and what we're being asked to do is is ever changing so the need to to evolve is there definition of insanity, do the same thing, expect a different outcome. If if you're um in a business, you're doing a job, the job that you do this year will be very different to the job you do next year, even if you've got the same job title. And I think it's getting people to understand that that evolution is pretty, pretty important.
0: It is, isn't it? And it's and it's interesting because with the with the pandemic we've all got used to uncertainty, but there's still this sense of, well when the uncertainty is over. And we go back to, or we, or we move forward to doing what we were doing before. What I'm hearing you're saying, which, you know, I, I concur with completely, is that our jobs are evolving week on week, month on month, year on year, even if we're doing the same, same job. How do we skill people to, to be okay with the uncertainty of that level of evolution?
1: Um. So, I mean, if I I take a real big kind of macro high level, um, the World Economic Forum in Davos, about six or seven years ago now, I identify, I think it was 28 skills of of the future as they defined it. I'm a bit of a simpleton, so I grouped it down into three groups. And the three groups are no more complicated than one, be a decent human being, be able to engage with human beings, understand people, talk to people you know, that goes through all jobs, whether it's sales, whether it's management, whatever it may be, that's really important to, to everything we do, including technology. Then you've got the second feature of that, which was you need to understand technology, not necessarily be a technologist. So that's things like understand that in a in an AI, uh, in a data set you're using to train machine learning, there may well be a bias. Or in something you're looking at, understand, what does that technology do you don't need to be a technologist because there's people out like there that, that do that and then the third thing was just around lifelong learning because about a third of everything we know is out of date every year because of the pace of change so if you look at it through that lens and, and it's too it, it doesn't throw it doesn't flow through easy for me to say not that over three years you therefore know nothing because over time you're learning new stuff so actually you're you're eroding but being rebuilt um so that i thing love I think that is,
0: phrase you're eroding and being rebuilt
1: yeah well yeah i think that's true so it's almost yeah i, I this analogy isn't brilliant so just just kind of humour me for a minute because i still need to work through this but if you think about a, a rock that's falling down a mountain it's getting worn away but it's also picking up new material on the way and it will be a very different shape when it gets to the bottom than it gets to the top but it could have a similar mass mm. and and that that i think is a bit of you the know, we are all whether we like it or not we are all evolving we are all the product of the experience we had and you know we've had very different lives we've had very different life experiences but yet we've ended up at this juxtaposition here together and and then we'll go off and do different things and and I think acknowledging that everybody's different and that everybody's life experience and pathway is different because it's all too easy for us and and this is one of the things that that I regularly come up against I try really hard not to not to do is you assume and assume is very very dangerous that everybody else knows what you know. So yeah, I, I say something to somebody and it's really clear in my head what I'm asking them to do and they hear something completely different because their life experience and their use of language is completely different to me. So, so one of the things I've, I've started doing, I'm now off question, by the way, I know that, but one of the things I now started doing whenever I'm, I'm talking to somebody is I'm saying really early on is my intent here is to do this because if I don't say my intent, they can't get in my head and know what my intent is, but they, can, they will make an assumption or they will make an interpretation. Interpretation is maybe better than assumption, but they will use their life experiences to build out on what I'm saying to come to their own answer.
0: Yeah. But
1: if I can knock that on the head beforehand and go, the intent of what I want from this is to achieve this, this and this, I'm, I'm leaving, as long as I'm not too ambiguous in my language, I'm leaving no uh, limited wiggle room for interpretation through that. I'm conscious I've drifted off the question, so I'll stop at that point. No, no,
0: no, you haven't. I mean, I, you know, I get it because it's a bit like if you ask somebody to, to um, build you an office chair, you might have in your head a, a chair on wheels and they might think of chair in, that's going to sit in reception that's a comfy chair and and so easily, and this is where communication goes awry, isn't it? And it's, it's where people end up micromanaging because they haven't been clear in the first place about what their intention is. So I, I totally get that. I just want to come back to the simplification of um uh being a good human being um being technologically aware and being a lifelong learner because those three things sound so simple and if you asked anybody pretty much most people would say they're a decent human being that they're pretty technologically aware because there isn't anyone on the planet now that doesn't know how to use technology of some sort. Um, and, and most people would recognize that they know more than they did five years ago and 10 years ago. How do we, how do we give people the, the, the humility in the midst of massive change? So in this context of this technic- technological revolution, how do we give people the humility to recognize that actually we don't have all the answers and we sometimes we're not decent human beings and to have the humility to recognise when we're not being decent, even if our intent is good.
1: Yeah, hard, hard question. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take, take the easier bits of it. I'm going to start at the back end and try and work my way around and see if by the time I've got to the front, I've come up with an answer. Um So so I think the first thing, you know, change is is ever-present. And if you look at what's happened over the last two years, firstly, you know, pretty much every business should be applauded for having found their way through it. We went from, you know, we engage as human beings, we're social animals, we went from meeting people in the pub, friends, we went from meeting, doing business face-to-face, to to suddenly, you know, effectively, we were prisoners in our own own houses. Mm. You know, let's not not underplay that. Mm. That had a massive psychological impact on people from a brain perspective, um, and I think it impacted a lot how a lot of people see us all lies. But, you know, and I'll come back to that. But if you look at it, we pivoted very rapidly as society to whether it was socializing online, whether it was engaging online, huge parts of the business world transitioned to being able to, to work in a fully distributed manner. And, I, and I, yeah, I use the word distributed intentionally, and I, I can talk a bit more about that later if you want to. But it, there's been a huge, huge amount of change. And that change is generally good. If you think about it from the planet's perspective, we're traveling less, we're using less fossil fuels, but could be really bad for a human being. You know, I've just come off, uh, I managed to break break two bones in my foot in early January because I walked into my kitchen table. So I've just come off four weeks of house arrest. Being not able to go anywhere is not great for one's mental well-being. I can Mm. can vouch for that. And I think I'm a pretty, pretty resilient, interesting phrase and positive person. And, well, one thing that particularly struck with me, I can, I can remember, I listened to quite a lot of podcasts. I can listen, remember listening to one podcast, um, a guy called Rich Rolls. Uh, he's an ultra marathon runner, a bit of a madman, had, had a pretty checkered history, but talks a lot about how your brain informs what your body can do and what you can actually achieve and how you see life. And he had a guy on called Rich Deviney, who's a Navy SEAL trainer. And they were talking. Rich Davini basically talked about this thing called optimal performance. And we all think about peak performance from an athletics or a or a sports perspective, where it's really easy. In some ways, it's really easy for sports people because they've got to perform on one day, you know, the Olympics, yeah. um, a particular match. Whereas the rest of us are expected to perform day in, day out. Mm. Uh, and and what what Rich Daviny was saying um, as part of Navy SEALs, there's Hell Week, which is basically a week where they carry around a forty-foot telegraph pole all the time uh, they spend a lot of time lying in the pacific surf getting pounded and optimal performance at that point is doing nothing more than not giving up and that really resonated with me because through covid a lot of people have been going life's pretty hard there's been a lot of change here and, and i'm you know i'm just kind of grinding it out it's a bit like you know analogy of a weather system the sun's I'm really lucky the sun's out today um but yesterday it was raining all day but one of the things you know is that there's going to be another weather system coming through tomorrow. So things are going to get different. Things are going to get better. So if you can just keep taking that step in the right direction, things are going to change and things are going to improve. So I'm conscious of, I've talked about quite a lot of stuff there. I, I think people beat themselves up too hard if they think, oh, I'm not doing the best I can. Well, maybe you're doing the best you can in the circumstances you can do. I personally, uh, I, I periodically, I, I schedule time in my diary to go, right, Well, kind of You know, let's try and take a step back, and I'm not perfect by any stretch, take a step back and go, what's important to me this week? Am I achieving it? How do I achieve it? One of the things that I think is really interesting at the moment as well on on, um, where and how we work is this concept of of distributed working. So some people will be working in an office and and some people will work at home. Some people may be working elsewhere. And if you're going to go down that line, the place that you're working has to be the best for the type of work you're trying to do. So if I'm trying to write a document, what what, what sort of conditions do I need? I probably need somewhere that I'm not going to get disturbed, that I've got decent technology set up and I can just get on with it. I'm not too hot. I'm not too cold. I've not got people walking past me, all of that stuff. If I'm trying to do really uh, collaborative brainstorming, I, I probably want people around me. I want a vibrant environment. And, and and one of those is probably better done at home. And one of those is probably better done in an office. And, and and the, the third thing, I I, I quite write, write quite a lot of stuff and I spend quite a bit of time trying to unpick and think think my way through fairly complicated problems. And I I love this concept of a third way. So that the a third way or a third, not a third way because politics, a third place. And that third place might be a coffee shop, it might be I'm going for a walk. It might be, I'm trying to write something and I'm hitting a brick wall, so I'm going to go out on my bike for an hour and I'm going to work my head through it whilst I exercise, exercise really good, brain, brain, blood flow, body, blood flow, environmental change, all of these things help you work through stuff. And I think if you talk to a lot of bosses, yes, some of them are still relatively in the past, but if you talk to an increasing number of them, they acknowledge because of some of the challenges that are going on around how do you recruit and how do you retain talent, that giving people the freedom to work in the way that suits them at the time that suits them is probably a good thing for them it, on balance. You know, if you look at all of the research over COVID productivity went up absolutely because people worked work remotely. Some of that was COVID related and was unsustainable. So kind of, you know, you, you filter that back down, but there was also this piece of actually people were generally more productive because they weren't spending time commuting that there have been some challenges. So Microsoft launched some work a couple of weeks ago that said, um, innovation, uh, Went down by 23% during COVID. I've got no idea how you measure what innovation is. I think yeah, that's that's slightly mad. Um, but it does create some interesting questions about how do you get people to work with each other? What's good? What's bad for the individual? Is it good or bad for the firm? So I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure I've answered the question, but I've kind of tried to give you some views.
0: Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Because I, I, I realise I ask big questions. And hard I,
1: questions. And- <laughs>
0: And deliberately so, because you're smart enough to answer them and, I, and I'm interested in your views on them. Um, I'm, I'm curious about, um, we talked a little about, about human beings being life, lifelong learners and, mm. and evolving. Um, in the past, I think we've evolved naturally at a sl- slightly slower pace. With the volume of technology and the disruption that we're seeing, and you're working with technology Businesses, so I'm guessing you're seeing a lot of this. Um, how do we make sure that we don't get left behind as human beings? Because if you look at, if you look at the, the pandemic when we all went into lockdown, like one day we were in the office, the next day we were all on Zoom and Microsoft Teams. And technologically, we made that, we flipped a switch and we did it. But emotionally, as human beings, it takes a bit longer for us emotionally to catch up. So with the pace of change happening, you know, growing with technology, how do we make sure we don't get left behind as human beings, that we don't hit that overwhelm mm. because there's so much of it coming at us?
1: I think there's probably three parts to this. Um, we probably change quicker than, you know, if, if you think about how long we've been on the planet as a species, uh, quite a long time. But we're actually more adaptable than I think we ever give ourselves credit for. So it, it takes uh, six weeks to build a habit it takes six weeks to adjust to a change that's not me talking that you know any number of psychologists yeah. will tell you that actually that's quite a short period of time we're looking at covid which was broad let's call it two years because that's broadly what it's mm. been um so I, I think there were probably a couple of stages of that the first was oh uh, omg what on earth does the world look like uh then there was the the adjusting to what the world looked like and then there was you know i hate the phrase the new normal but you know that's what it was the world has changed this is now normal kind of get over it get on with it um and if you look at it from a lifelong learning perspective, I think some of it is being aware of what's going on in the world around you so you know some of the technological tools we use as consumers are fantastic but but you're also got to be aware that they're very poisonous so I'm not picking on Facebook, mm. but if you look at why does facebook encourage if you're if you're looking at um videos of cats jumping and doing stuff or horses doing stuff, it will keep serving you that because it wants you to spend more time on its platform and it wants to be able to serve you more ads. It wants to be able to source your data so that it can better monetize you. So if you're going to it kind of with half an eye on that going, I know that Facebook is going to keep serving me stuff I look at, that's how you end up going down a rabbit hole because you know you keep going, you keep going and, and suddenly you're, you're 50 meters over to the right mm. because you've gone down that rabbit hole. I um, Personally, I, I try and look I try and look for stuff periodically that is makes me feel uncomfortable and different to what I'm normally looking at. Um, I'm not, I'm not quite to the stage cause I'm not that brave of going, actually, I'm going to go looking for a problem, but I'm, I'm very much aware of through stuff I read and things I listen to. I try not to yet. Yes. I read mainstream stuff, but I also go and go, right. Okay. Well, what's the, what's the opposite view of that? Or where's there's a slightly more uncomfortable view of that in terms of, of, tech change I kind of really get that I, I'm not part of the dystopian school of thought that you know the end of the world is nigh mm. um but I am of the view that because of the amount of change that's coming that the role of the human being is going to be different so if you just human me for a second let me try and give you give you some perspective mm. on this and I'll then try and answer on the vital and anything so if you think if you look back through history I'm a big fan of how history informs our lives um at any one time in the previous industrial revolutions and, and i do believe we're living through the fourth one now one thing has happened at a time whether it's a railway electricity steam trains um um, uh, computers in the 1970s but now you've got any number of them layered on top of each other so you could go ai you could go genomics you could go uh, remote working you could go digitization digital transformation yeah, there's, there's any other number that you there's five or six of them at least that you can layer so if you say each of them before was like one lego block well you've now got five lego blocks of change so and the pace of that change because we are living in a hyper-connected world is quicker so whereas before it might have taken you know sort of the, the the first industrial revolution was probably somewhere between 10 and 30 years depending on who you believe um the 1970s it was somewhere between three and five years you know covid was Kind of two, mm. and actually, some of this stuff has been e- even even quicker than that. Um, you know, these things—supercomputer in your pocket—because that's literally what they are. And they've only been around for ten years, twelve years at a push. Mm. Uh, and th- that's a remote control for your life. That runs your life. That can do everything for you. So, I think some of this stuff is—it just naturally happens to you by osmosis, and you can't avoid it. As you said, we we kind of we're all living in a technological world. The other thing is. Go go look for some of this change, um, and I think also just acknowledging that it's happening. You know, because we live in a world that's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. But all all the clients I talk to at the moment, I, I, I'm pretty much running a poll every time I'm talking to people, going, "Okay, do you think you have more decisions to make today than you've ever had?" Like. You know, it's a bit better worded than that but that's the gist mm. of it and the answer that comes back at me loud and clear is yes I have more decisions to make now than I've ever made mm. and then the second question that usually follows that is um do you think the pace of changes is, is faster now than it has been again a bit better worded and the answer that comes back at this is yes mm. so so the sort of message that, that the business world is telling me is change is happening it's changing quicker um what what we need from people is different there are skills challenges in there but we need people to be a kind of alive to that.
0: Do you think that that pace of change is sustainable? Or do you think at some point we're like, cause it seems to be growing exponentially. Is it, are, are we going to break at some point <laughs> or say, no, enough, I need to just go out and walk the dog or, I mean, people are already doing that, but you know what I mean?
1: Mm. I don't see the pace of change slowing down. I, I think human beings part in it's different. so if we look at, so let me give you some sort of data point, data points, some, some analogies. If you look at things like automation, so dystopian people would say, software automation will do away with all our jobs. There was a, an Oxford University report that came out maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, which got wildly misquoted in the press that said that, well, the press said 90% of jobs were going to be destroyed by automation. What the report actually said was 90% of jobs were going to be impacted by automation. So human beings are really bad at, copy typing from one system to another the amount of that that has to go on still is horrific actually if you can automate a bit of software you can teach a robotic process automation tool to copy from there paste there mm. it will do it 24 mm. hours a day give or take um, it won't need a cigarette break it won't need a coffee break it won't need a comfort break it won't get grumpy if you don't say thank you to it um, it's really really good at it and it's really really accurate uh, if that means frees we up don't have huge... to do it <laughs> if that then frees up the human being to do something that's more enjoyable and better value for the firm and society, yeah, my simple view, that's got to be a good thing. Mm. Um, And especially in a world, so, so we've got massive structural imbalance at the moment of technology skills. Historically, tech skills were only needed in tech firms, and now tech skills are needed across the entire economy. There was an imbalance of skills supply versus demand when they're only needed in tech firms and now you've got kind of this explosion of it and I think part of that structural answer which I don't think will sort itself out for at least probably 10 years is okay the boring stuff let's automate that let's make that easy for people to do or let's take that away from people as long as there's back to that kind of where I started we understand what the technology is doing and let's make the human let's ask the human beings to do the higher value added stuff so I guess what I'm sort of saying there a little bit is I think the pace of change is going to carry on being high. But actually, the bit of it that the human beings are involved in, because we have finite capacity, will probably more from at the moment, we're probably in in you know, most of it that maybe will shift to be will we'll be in the mid to higher value part of it, not the um, very simple bit that we don't really need to do and we're not very good at.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, it reminds me of when I when I joined IBM and I'm dating myself here in the in the 1990s when um, I wasn't I wasn't technical and I was probably one of the first people to join with a French degree rather than maths or science. And I'm not quite still not quite sure how I found myself in IBM, but there you go. And and very quickly, people said, you'll never have a career because you're not technical. And every job they gave me that was technical, I just thought this is so dull. This is not for me. And, and I carved my career out of managing people and managing clients and managing the business um, do you think those are the skills that we need to be developing more of recognizing that somebody's still got to program the tech so we still yeah. you know we still have to have people that program and do the yeah. down to the bits and bytes level do you think yeah I, it's I, that, I think it's that. that conceptual level of you know I I, I I mean, I always said I I was good at talking about something I knew nothing about, but you know, and I was being flippant. But actually, it was about understanding enough conceptually to make to make decisions um, from a business point of view. Do you think that's more of what we need to be educating people on?
1: I absolutely do. So so I I tend to talk about a kind of four tier model of of digital transformation. Digital transformation is probably a misnomer anyway. I'll come back to that in a minute. But yeah, if you're trying to change something or you're trying to do something, you firstly got to understand what are you trying to achieve? Because it's that classic example of, okay, I, I quite like a fruit. Well, what fruit do you want? well, I don't care. Well, somebody could deliver you a banana, an apple, an orange, or in, or a lemon, and I'm slightly intentionally using the word lemon. So if you understand what the economic benefit you're trying to achieve is, and you're really clear on that, and that's the human being piece, then it's okay. What information do I need? How do I then convert that information into data? And, and then how do I use technology? So uh, you know, run that through analogy, classic example. Um, I don't want my wife to be and, and kids to be stuck on the side of a motorway with a flat tire when they're driving the car somewhere. Okay. So the economic benefit I want, or you can use that as a firm. I don't want my delivery driver missing slots because he's stuck on the side of a motorway, which is a dangerous place to be. I'm going to have grumpy customers because I'm missing delivery times. I'm going to have to pay somebody a fortune to go out and fix the tyre. And, 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 and. Okay, well, what information do I need? Well, I probably need to know the tyre pressure. Okay, well, that's pretty easy. But tyre pressure in isolation, doesn't it, it, it doesn't tell me anything. If tyre pressure is 30, 30 uh, bar, 3 bar, um, and it should be at six. Well, that tells me something. If it's at three and it should be at three, then t- again that tells us, something. It's that. Like, how do I then translate the information into data, i.e., something that I can do something with? And then what do I do with the technology? Okay, so for example, uh, let's use the van driver. Um, we're getting a load of we're getting a load of uh, tire pressure warnings when people are coming out of this particular site. Right. Okay. Well, is that because there's something wrong with the site that we need to proactively go and do something about, or the tire pressure is warning me, therefore I'm going to get that tire change before it bursts on the motorway i'm using that as, as a real simple example back to what, what you were saying Jude. of um understanding what you're trying to achieve because mm. you know you can end up with law of unintended consequence you can also have we i i'm now not talking about digital transformation digital transformation changing the world from rigid systems to cloud first mobile first highly flexible stuff that that users without technology skills can rapidly change i'm now talking about total transformation because Something like 70% of all digital transformation projects fail to deliver half, half of their expected benefit. I mean, that's horrific given the amount of money that goes into it. Absolutely horrific. So why does it fail? Why do they fail? Most of them fail because the technology, which is the, yeah, I'm going to say it's in inverted commas, easy bit um, gets done. And then the squishy bit, the 70% water, us, um, people forget to change process because they've spent all their time looking at the technology. uh, And they try and ram old process down new technology, tends not to work. Well, they forget to sell the benefits or train the human beings on how the new technology should work. Yeah. So, so before you know it, you've spent all this money on this wonderful thing, a bit of technology, shiny thing with flashing lights, and it doesn't do what it what you want it to do because you've completely forgotten about the human beings. And I am beginning to see, you know, that sort of total transformation Gartner are talking about as well. I'm seeing a bit of a pivot of, let's make sure we get our people to buy in. Let's make sure we understand what we're trying to achieve and let's be really laser focused with that questioning. And, and one of the things that I think being a really good human being is really important about I I don't know a huge amount about technology yeah I've worked in the space for 13 years but I'm not a technology by background I just ask lots and lots of questions most of them really quite stupid Mm. Um, and sometimes those stupid questions are the ones that actually uncover really interesting things
0: yeah I mean you covered a lot there but I think the the, um, one of the key things that I want to pull out on that is that the, the pace of change is, is growing exponentially. And then I still come back to, well, the technologically we can make those shifts, but emotionally as human beings, it's harder. And that's why you're getting the, these projects that don't achieve all of their objectives because emotionally we haven't engaged people along the way. How do we make sure in organizations and and in technology businesses because i know that's where you're where you're spending a lot of your time how do we make sure that technology businesses understand that because technology businesses are typically run by people who understand tech or are excited about what it might achieve um but i well i i, I see you're pulling a face i'll well, let you finish i'll let you finish um, Sorry. <laughs> Well, and I also know that lots of people who don't know anything about tech are running technology businesses. I'm, I'm in the process of designing a leadership app as an example. I know nothing about technology. Um, but nevertheless, we have an idea and the technology business builds something and then it turns into something else. You know, back to Facebook, it's turned into something else by the consumers. How do we make sure that as businesses, technology businesses really recognize firstly the responsibility that that when they implement something it may take on a life of its own and morph into something that they didn't intend it to and secondly that, that they're not creating overwhelm in the human race because we're bombarded with every bit of technology some of which we need and some of it which quite frankly we don't
1: mm. yeah thanks another easy question um <laughs> Uh, so I, th- I think there is a mix there are definitely some people that are out there on the spectrum that run tech businesses that, that are fully you know let, let's get all the um yeah geeks yeah I'll probably say that without offending too many people um but there's also a lot of very good human beings that are sitting alongside them and I, I think increasingly the the user experience the user interface that whole piece is getting more focused than it ever used to if you now think about how technology sold both in the private sector and and the public sector at at an enterprise level, so into big firms. It's sold not on a tech spec. It's, I've got this problem that I need to solve. Okay, let's work out how we solve that and technology will be part of the solution. Whereas if you go back, you know, one of the previous firms I worked at, its strategy to innovation was let's go and find some, some clever innovation in the market and let's go and find a problem that we can put that to. That all felt to me a bit back to front. And now, where that has gone in the market is generally right i've got a problem i need to go and find a solution to it which feels much more sensible as opposed to you know right here's the answer to the exam question i now need to go and find the exam question which, which to me seems a little bit logical but looking at the human piece so so again that i'm a bit of a simpleton human beings pay attention to three things stuff that's going to hurt them stuff that's going to benefit them and stuff that they're interested in so if you can if you can look at technology through that lens so um, let, let, let's use let's use an example of, of some of the stuff that's going on at the moment. So um, we've got an aging population in the Western world. There's some really clever stuff. I was talking to, to a client a few weeks ago that they they run care in the community software and they've created some partnerships with, with some large firms where they've got smart plugs. Um, granny normally puts a, uh, Granny lives on her own. Granny normally puts a kettle on between eight and nine in the morning. It's connected to a smart plug. It learns how Granny responds. If Granny hasn't put the kettle on by quarter past nine, her son gets a text that says, mm mum's not put her kettle on is she away at the moment if he says no the nearest available care worker is scheduled to go and visit her and and the implications of that and that is non-invasive technology because some Mm. of the time technology can be really invasive the implication of that is average full time for an elderly person in the UK when they get found is about five hours and there's a direct link between that and how long they have to spend in hospital you know five weeks on average the average the the trial they did on the average full time was the average time until they were found was between an hour and an hour and a half. Um, and they, they therefore spent a lot less time in hospital. So economic good, societal good, personal good, non-invasive technology. So I, I kind of get the the responsibilities of tech in terms of not not being law of unintended consequence. But, but when you develop a bit of kit, a smart plug, for example, people probably thought, well, that's great because you can turn it on and off remotely. But then you get into the if this, then that type analogy that says, okay, well, if we can do that, well, why can't we do this? And why can't we do that? And and back to my simpleton of the human being beast, we're all interested. We're all in, we're, we're, we're all going to pay attention to stuff that's going to benefit us. It's pretty simple. We're going to pay attention to stuff that's going to hurt us. And if we're interested, we're going to pay more attention to it. So if you can hit all three of those, then then you're, you're in a winning perspective, whether it's from a consumer or, or a business perspective. So... I don't think there's an easy answer to the how do you not end up with the law of unintended consequence with technology. But I do think people are much more aware of it now because we've been through that. You know, there's some some pretty scary data trials that were done in the US using big data sets of AI to, to work out how likely offenders were to reconvict. And you know, that ended up with some very heavy bias in it, and, and people have learned from that. But the potential to use, you know, AMPR data, so automated number plate recognition data to work out where drug where drugs are being tracked up and down the motorway you know that seems incredibly powerful so it's about the balancing I guess what's the technology doing what are you trying to use do with it and also being aware of the you know okay what's the potential for it going off track which sort of comes back to where I was starting about not being a technologist but understanding what technology does and how it does it Mm.
0: Roland, it's been fantastic to talk to you. We could have gone on for hours, I'm sure. Um, Thank you so much for your time today.
1: My pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Can I have the thumbscrews taken off now, please?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sometimes guilty of believing we need to slow down because the pace of change doesn't feel sustainable. I love Roland's idea that we can adapt to a fast pace of change as the norm as long as we operate at the higher levels of our capabilities and let go of some of the lower levels. For me, that sounds exciting. I'd be happy to do away with some of the distractions that I don't want to get caught up in. What excites you about the future? And how do you and your team need to evolve to lead the change? That's it for this week, you've been listening to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech Week. I'm Jude Jennison, host of the podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I hope you've been as inspired by this week's guest as I have. If you'd like to know more about how I help leaders and teams be more human in a world of technology, you may be surprised to discover I do it by working in a field with a herd of horses. Sound crazy? All innovation's crazy in the beginning. So if you like to think outside of the box and get rapid results, you can find out more at www.judejennison.com. And if you'd like to find out more about the exciting technology scene in Birmingham, hop on to the Birmingham Tech website at www.birminghamtechweek.com. Until next time, that's it from me, Jude Jennison, the official podcast partner for Birmingham Tech.